Welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in today. We are in a Bible study covering the book of Philippians and today's focus is chapter two. But before we get into it, let me say this. If you like what you hear today, I do have one favor to ask of you, and that's simply to share this episode with a few friends. You can text them right now, send them the link and invite them to take a listen. And thank you in advance. Now to the text, Philippians chapter two, just a brief overview. The Apostle Paul calls the Philippians to live in love and humility, which is exemplified by Christ's humble service. Verses one through four. So there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests Of others. The Apostle Paul is urging the church at Philippi to be unified. And I echo what the Apostle Paul said we need unity in the body of Christ. Let's take a look back at Psalms 133 that also talks about unity. And it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That last part one more time. For there, you may say, where is there? The place where there's unity. That's where the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. God loves And is pleased when his children are walking in unity. And I want to encourage you today, my brother. And I want to encourage you today, my sister. As you lead out your Christian life to pursue unity within the body of Christ. Because division is a tool of the enemy that he wants to use to get us distracted from what God is calling the capital C church, the church at large, to do and to be. In the first four verses Paul is also encouraging humility and instructing them against selfishness. Let's talk about it. Let's define humility. Humility is freedom from arrogance that grows out of a recognition that all that we have and all that we are comes from the Lord. True humility produces gratitude. Now, let's rightly divide the word of the Lord. Humility is not about belittling oneself or looking down on yourself, and it's not about having a low view of yourself. Rather, humility chooses to give God the proper and due acknowledgement of his blessings in your lives. In other words, giving God the glory and not receiving it for yourselves, because God will share his glory with no man. Some scripture about humility, Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
So you'll be humble one way or another. You might as well do it yourself. Amen. And then James chapter four and verse six says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, as it relates to being selfish, Paul encourages us to look beyond ourselves, beyond our desires, our ambitions, and to look out for others. That's giving us a warning against selfishness. So we should be considerate of others. Back to the text, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a lot of good stuff to unpack there. Verse five talks about the mind of Christ. And the only way that you're going to have the mind of Christ is if you are saturated by the word of God. In other words, you must be reading it studying it, meditating on it, memorizing it, and most importantly, obeying it. Overall, these verses give us an example of Christ's humble service. Now, I want you to put on your thinking cap for a minute. Now, theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. And Christology is a branch of theology that focuses specifically on Jesus Christ. So let's talk about it. As this passage seeks to further explain and explicate the nature and the work of Christ, here are several key characteristics of Jesus Christ, eight of them to be exact, that we see here in the text. Number one, Christ has always existed with God. Secondly, Christ is equal to God because he is God. Thirdly, though Christ is God, he became a man in order to fulfill God's plan of salvation for all people. Next, Christ did not have the appearance of being a man. He actually became human to identify with our sins. Christ voluntarily laid aside his divine rights and privileges out of love for his father. Number six, Christ died on the cross for our sins. So we wouldn't have to face eternal death. Number seven, God glorified Christ because of his obedience. And number eight, God raised Christ to his original position at the father's right hand, where he will reign forever as our Lord and judge. So all in all, these eight characteristics of Christ, Christology, if you will, theology, if you will, all in all, as believers, as Christians, as we delve deep into the word of God to better understand him, serve him and follow him. This is good stuff to know to be reminded of so we can better understand the nature and the work of Christ. Amen. Now, some scholars refer to the verses I just read, verses 5 through 11, as the hymn of Christ. As Paul depicts Christ's example of service in a stirring poem that traces his preexistence, 
his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God. Paul includes this so he can encourage the Philippians to consider other people's interests, just as Christ did when he left his glorious heavenly estate to come down here to earth and to give his life to save yours and to save mine. Christ's example should encourage and exhort you, exhort us to great humility and a greater love for God. Looking at the text, you see the phrase taking the form of a servant, meaning he became the son of man. So you and I can become the sons and daughters of God. I like that. I don't know about you, but thinking about the Lord and all that he has done for you and all that he has done for me should make you and I want to praise him, to want to serve him and to want to obey him. Christ is the greatest example of obedience, even to the point of death. And he is calling you and I to obedience, even to the point of dying to our flesh. In other words, putting aside what our flesh wants and doing what God wants us to do. Looking again at verses 10 through 11. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Every knee will bow, whether it's in this life or the next. And it would be in your best eternal interest if you are bowed the knee now and confess the name now, the name of Jesus, so you can enjoy the next life, the afterlife. Now, looking at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is encouraging the readers to demonstrate their faith by walking in obedience. In other words, don't just talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. and You got to live this thing out. The Philippians had obeyed God in the past. That's good. But Paul is now encouraging them to resist relying on past glories and to keep Pursuing God, no matter how many spiritual mountains you have climbed, no matter how many times you have read the entire Bible, no matter how many hours you have done in ministry or missions or serving the Lord, there's always more. We should always be hungry and thirsty for the Lord, more of him and more of his presence. No matter how long you have been walking with him, man, I just want to encourage you right now to keep obeying him, to keep serving him, to keep loving him, and even go into overdrive in your love relationship with the Lord. See, this walk that we have with the Lord, it's a daily journey. And maybe you fasted before, but God is calling you to fast again. Maybe you read the entire Bible, but God is calling you to keep on reading. Don't get stagnant. Don't get nonchalant. Don't get lazy or complacent in your walk with the Lord. Keep moving forward. Keep pursuing his presence. Keep being in his face at his feet and keep progressing in your walk with the Lord. Because listen here, my friend. There is just so much more that God wants to do in you, 
for you and through you as you keep walking with him and keep seeking after him. Now, when Paul is saying to work out your salvation, he's saying to work out your salvation, not to work for your salvation. Big difference there, because salvation isn't based on anything that we can ever do, but it's based on what Christ has already done. Paul is saying that once you are saved, there should be works. There should be evidence in your life and there should be fruits in your life that you are saved. Thus emphasizing the importance of continued obedience to God and walking the walk. I want you to look again at verse 13 and it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I saw this quote while reading the commentary and it says this. To be like Christ, we must train ourselves to think like Christ, to change our desire to be more like Christ. We need the power of the indwelling spirit, as well as the influence of faithful Christians. In other words, we need community with other believers and we need to obey God's word. It is in doing God's will that we gain a desire to do God's will. Just something to think about some food for thought there. Picking up at verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17 even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I like that word light. Jesus also talked about being light. And here's what he had to say in Matthew chapter five, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Now do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. All that to say that we are living in dark times and God is calling you to be the light and to point others to the bright hope that's found in Christ alone. Now, back to Philippians, when you see that phrase, hold fast in verse 16, that means believe God's word and to obey God's word. We need both faith and actions. Now, picking up at verses 19 through 24, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I, too, may be cheered by good news of you. For I have no one like him who would genuinely concern for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send Epiditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and have been distressed because you have heard that he was ill. 
Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul cared about him. Verse 28. I am more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here, Paul highlights Timothy and Epaphroditus, who both were examples of a service centered life, thus encouraging his readers then and encouraging his readers now to live out a service centered life instead of a selfish life. Furthermore, Paul, he observed that most believers are too preoccupied with their own needs to spend time working for Christ. It's a dangerous place to be. So all that to say is this, please don't allow your schedule. Please don't allow your concerns or even your agenda to crowd out your Christian service and love for others. And one way you can do that, man, you can start by joining the ministry at your church. You can start serving because it's in the act of serving that actually breaks selfishness off of us. If Jesus, the son of God, humbled himself to serve, then we should too. As a matter of fact, when was the last time you did a good deed for someone who couldn't return the favor? All in all, you and I are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, doing good deeds and pointing others back to him. So before I let you go, I have three takeaways from today's text. Number one, pursue unity within the body of Christ. We got to have unity to move forward and to be all that God has called us to be. Pursue unity. Secondly, live a life of service as you serve the Lord and as you serve others. That could look like volunteering and serving at church, volunteering at a shelter, feeding the homeless, visiting the sick and the shut in. Just to name a few. All in all, create margin in your schedule to serve others. And thirdly, walk in humility, recognizing that God is the source of all of your blessings. So look to Jesus, who is our best and brightest example as it relates to all of this unity, service and humility. And that is a look at Philippians chapter two. And let me pray for you before I let you go. Father, I pray for my dear listener right now. I ask that you would just reveal yourself in a fresh way, that they would come to experience more of your power, more of your glory, more of your anointing in their lives. I ask that they would develop a deeper hunger, thirst, and desire to pursue you, to get into the word, to read the Bible, to obey it, to live a holy life, Lord, to pray, to pursue you. And Lord, I ask that you would equip them to be all that you have called them to be. Lord, we love you, but we thank you for loving us in spite of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.